This is a podcast from Seven Vineyard. My name's Owen. I'm one of the co-lead pastors here at Seven. It's great to meet you. If I've not met you before, I'd love to say hi afterwards. And um, uh, Claire and I uh, have been on, Claire's my wife, we've been on a sabbatical for three months. um, And literally, we didn't do anything relating to church. After 31 years of going to church regularly on a Sunday, we stopped going to church regularly on Sunday. After 20 years of leading in professional context of church, we, we stopped doing that and the team ran things instead of us and we realized we weren't that necessary. Uh, and um, I was chatting to um, one of my friends the other day and he, he said to me, he said, what, you, you literally didn't go to another church in the whole time of your, during your sabbatical. You literally didn't go to another church. I was like, yeah, why would I do that? Why would I go to another church if I'm just staying away from my own church? You know, that sounded a bit stupid. Um, but he, what he was really saying to me was kind of like, well, what, what happened? You know, like, how was it? Like, how did you live without church? Because I think for many people, you know, the idea of living without church is kind of a very strange concept. Like, for instance, how do you worship God if you don't go to church? Well, my answer to him was, well, I did worship. My, my spirit soared in worship every day. Every day it soared in worship in my interactions with my family and friends as I paused to gaze into the eyes of the person I was talking to and see God in the midst of them. As I, as I gazed into the sunset or the beautiful sunrises that we get um, that are, you know, in, in the early morning and the, just the freshness of the day and just sensing God's presence in that place. Um, just in my work as a physiotherapist, when someone walks back in and I say, how are you after the last session? They go, I'm healed. I'm totally 100% healed. That's just a little advert for my services, by the way. Um, but, but seriously, though, I mean, is, there's just such joy in that. It was, it was, I was worshipping every day and uh, it was really special. Um, and maybe my friend also meant, uh, well, you know, without church, did you learn anything about God? Well, yeah, actually I did. I read a couple of great books about God. One that I kind of didn't quite, dis- I didn't quite agree with everything they said, but I learned so much about God and um, there was so, ma- uh, so many opportunities to listen to podcasts. I go running regularly. I just listen to podcasts all the time. I learned so much about God through, the, through those podcasts and, and through my conversations that those podcasts and books stimulated with those people around me. It was such a deep a uh, reflective time for me. I learned so much about God. It may, maybe my friend wondered, um, did it mean that um, I didn't reflect on my behaviour um, very much, my moral behaviour, you know, because I wasn't, you know, going to church every Sunday. I, I, well, actually, I'll let you into a little secret. I say that I virtually saw no one, virtually no one from church, but actually there was a little group of guys who I meet with once a week or once a fortnight, uh, Rick, uh, Rob and Kevin, and we all meet together on Zoom for one hour a week, and um, and I, I think of it like my little mental spiritual health group, and we just share with each other uh, what's been going on in each other's lives, and we have a uh, ten minutes to talk about that and be questioned by one of the other group, and that that was so deep, that was so helpful, and as it always is to my reflective practice, and uh, I decided before I started my sabbatical that I wouldn't stop doing that. Um, maybe my friend who questioned me on why didn't you go to church, maybe. He thought maybe I would be lonely and isolated because I wasn't at church. And, you know, I understand that because, you know, there's so many special relationships that I have uh, through my connections with uh, people that I've made through church. Um, But actually, um, you know what? Not 
being connected to people at church made me invest in my family. So I spent more time talking to my family. I spent more time visiting my family. I visited family members I've not seen for years. Um, I spent more time with friends that I wouldn't normally spend time with. Uh, we, 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 uh, you know, we got to know some of the people in our neighbourhood better uh, because we had the time to do it. Did we feel lonely and isolated? No, actually we didn't. Um, and maybe our, my friend wondered if, um, if not being part of church meant that I didn't contribute to my wider community. Well, arguably yes, because I did actually, normally on a fortnightly basis, I help out with the food bank that we run here and we deliver food parcels to people in the BS4 uh, postcode. And uh, I stopped doing that for three months. But you know what? Um, I did continue to my work as a physiotherapist and actually um, I was able to help people with their pain. Um, and I was able to help people get better and uh, just being able to contribute to their lives in a small way like that, um, even if it was my business, made, uh, gave me a, great, a deep sense of connection with my wider community. Maybe my friend um, thought that um, by not being at church that um, I wouldn't meet with God, that I wouldn't actually encounter God. And I have to say, with all of my five senses, I encountered God on a, a daily basis. I encountered God through, as I said just now, the sunsets and the sunrises that I viewed and just gazing into the sun, and, or not into the sun, don't do that, it's a bad idea, but just kind of looking at the sunrise and just being overwhelmed by the emotional um, energy that that gave me and the sense of connection with God who makes the sunrise day in, day out. Um, just my sense of connection with God uh, through the beautiful countryside that we visited. We went off on a bit of a road trip with the kids and we drove down to Italy. And just being in the grandeur of the Alps, uh, just be, feeling the sun on your face. Actually, I mean, we've had a bit too much sun this summer, haven't we really? But just feeling those things, it was just incredible. Was I able to connect with God? Oh, my life, yeah. And with all of my senses, uh, you know, tasting um, just the perfect ragu in Emilia Romana. Uh, actually, it was, in a, it was the best... The best ragu we had in Emilia-Romana was in a shopping centre in, in a food outlet, which I can't even remember what it was called now, but it was the best. And with, you know, just incredible taste, I was like, my God, thank you so much for ragu. You know, it's like the taste was sensational. Uh, and, I, and I can taste it because I've got taste buds and smell and, and there's some amazing people that have created this beautiful food. Do you get my drift? I encountered God with all of my five senses every day that I was away from the church in that sense. So you might wonder, well, maybe you're thinking, well, what, what is it that we get out of church then? And maybe you thought about this yourself. Maybe at home you're thinking about this as you sit there. What is, what is it about being church? What is it about doing church together? Uh, have you ever asked yourself, why do we uh, do church and why are we part of church? And those are good questions to ask yourself. And here's what I'm going to suggest to you. I'm not going to give you any answers. I just want you to discuss it. Uh, maybe at home with dinner, maybe when you're meeting up with friends for a drink. Why do we do church? Think about it. What do we do? Reflect on why we do church. What are the great things that you value about doing church? Why are you connected to a church in the way that you are? Because there are many great reasons, aren't there? But maybe write them down, think about them, reflect on them. It's a really good question to ask yourself. But the question that I want us to consider today is, and, and it relates to what I've just told you, is does God only show up in church? Now, you kind of know my answer already, um, but I want you to ask this question. Does God only show up in church? Because we know in this kind of context that God does show up. But does God show up in the rest of 
of your life. Now, when I was a, a student um, in Plymouth, I was at University of Plymouth when I was 18, and I studied geography, and um, I actually grew up with family. Mum and dad went to church because it was the thing to do. Maybe some of you are the same. Your parents went to church because it was the thing to do. Everyone kind of went to church, right, in a certain generation. And so I kind of was dragged along to church, and then when I was about 11, I decided I didn't want to go. I'd rather play football on Sunday morning. And my dad said, well, that's fine, but you must come to church with me on a Sunday evening. So I agreed to that. So I used to go to the church, which is actually a little bit more boring than the morning service. Um, but I went anyway as a dutiful son. And, um, uh, I, I, but, but we weren't raised in an evangelical church. But when I went to university, I met loads of young people because I'd never met anyone who was my own age, who was passionate about Jesus and had a sort of vibrant faith in God. And then I went to university and I discovered all these young people my own age who I thought were quite cool. I thought, gosh, if they can believe in God, then... That's really interesting. It really challenged my worldview. But I got involved with it, and I got kind of got really, I got really involved in it, really, and, and became um, the president of the Christian Union when I was at university. You can tell that's pretty serious, isn't it? Really, if you're a Christian and you're a president of the Christian Union, that's a pretty serious role to have, you know, if you're a Christian. Um, so I got really involved in it, um, and um, and there were many wonderful things about it. Um, and looking back, there was so, so, it was such a good thing for my life. But you know, there was something about, um, there was a metaphor that was used, and it was used routinely to describe people who used to go to church and then didn't. Um, so I don't know if you've ever come across this, so forgive me if you haven't, but they used to work, use this word backsliding or falling away. Have you ever heard that phrase? It's a particularly Christian phrase, don't worry if you haven't, but this idea that if you, don't, if you used to go to church and then you don't go to church, you're somehow backsliding and actually you're um, in some way morally dubious um, and you've lost your, your fire kind of thing. And the, the, the metaphor that we had, and I probably thought it was a good metaphor then myself, was a blazing fireplace full of burning coals. Have you ever heard this, some of you? So you've got a blazing fireplace at home in the half, and then it's full of burning coals or burning pieces of wood. But one of those coals or one of those pieces of wood falls out of the fire and falls onto the hearth. Yeah? Now, actually, as a kid, I did that once. I cleaned the fireplace out, and I put all the coals on the, on the paper to chuck them out, and I didn't realise that one of the coals was actually still red hot and burnt straight through the paper and burnt a hole in the, in the carpet, which I wasn't, I wasn't too... Um, I wasn't, I wasn't flavour of the month, put it that way, in our household. Um, but um, like that, one of the coals falls out of the fire onto the hearth this time, not burning the carpet, and it gradually cools down. And you can tell because the redness in the coal actually disappears, and it goes black, and then it goes white, and it turns to powder, and it's completely destroyed, effectively. It's gone cold, it's just burnt out. Why? Because it's not amongst all the other coals in the fire. The idea being that if the coals are all together, they keep each other warm. And there's this idea, and this metaphor was used to describe Christians that stop going to church, that they, they fall out of the church and they lose their passion for Jesus, and they lose their passion for God, and they become more morally dubious. Have, has anyone else heard that metaphor before, or am I the only one? Oh, one or two of you. Oh, great, thanks. So, so that metaphor was used to describe someone who they said was backsliding. Now most of the time that metaphor was used out of concern and love, okay? 
Christian and love, because when people are living in a community together and, you know, particularly at university students, like when we're in church together or we're in the Christian union together, it's all, all for one and one for all kind of thing, isn't it? You know, it's all exciting to be there. But if someone slips away, then, you know, people are concerned. Oh, this person, you don't see them so much. You don't see them anymore. Maybe they're a bit lonely. Maybe they're a bit downhearted. Maybe they're getting in with the wrong crowd. Maybe they're doing something morally dubious. And there's this concern, but it kind of quickly turns to them and us. They're there and we're here. They're out and we're in. They're on the, on the half cold and have lost their passion for Jesus and we're still in the fire, keeping ourselves warm, keeping our passion for Jesus burning. Now, I understand that that was out of genuine love and concern a lot of the time. It wasn't always, I've got to be honest with you, it was sometimes used to describe people in negative terms. It was, it was used to describe someone, you know, who, we've, who, who, who was considered to be kind of, you know, in some way morally dubious, but also in some way kind of just disloyal. And the sense of, well, we can classify them as they're a backslider. Um, and it, it, that wasn't loving and kind. Um, but don't you know that that metaphor of the fire and the coal is also a way of maintaining high attendance at church. All right, so this idea that it's a way of controlling people's behavior. You know, you must come to church because if you don't, you'll be like the coal that falls out of the fire and your, your faith will die and your passion for Jesus will die and your life will just plummet. Don't you know that's a, that's a method for controlling? Listen, I've been involved in church for 31 years. I've been leading a church for 20 years. And the reality is, is that the temptation to use, if not that metaphor, but something like it to indicate what might happen if you fall out of the fellowship or if you slide away from the fellowship or if you just step away from the fellowship. Don't you know that is, a, that is one of the tools that people think they may use in terms of trying to keep churches together? Like, stay with us. Stay with us because you don't know what might happen if you leave. Wasn't that an argument used in Brexit? <laughs> you know, this sense of out and in, and what are the consequences of being out? You know, um, I, I, I've been honest with you. I've, I've been amongst church leaders and pastors for 20 years. I know all the conversations that go on in the background. I know what's in my own heart. As a church leader, you want your church to be a success. As a church leader, you want your church to, to have momentum. You want your church to make a difference in the lives of people. And you want to gather people, lots of people, because you know what the conversation is when you go to a church leadership conference is, how big's your church? Yeah? You know that's true, right? Because it's true in every other walk of life. How successful is your football team? You know, how high up in the business are you? You know, what's going on with your kids? Oh, we've just had that one, A-level and GCSEs. What did your kids get? Do you know what I mean? So there's always this competitiveness and it's not, you know, church leaders are not isolated from it. So there's always this conversation and it, you know, it, it actually gets a bit corrosive. But the reality is, is that when you are under pressure to grow a church, when you are under pressure to have a big church, you are going to use tools to help control people. And don't you know that metaphor of a fireplace, for instance, and the coal falling out of the fire and people not being in church is a tool that leaders can use and sometimes use, maybe not even deliberately, to control how people behave. And I suspect that for me, you know, I'd like to think that I've challenged that attitude in myself and in others when I've seen it, but the reality is I've probably not challenged it enough. And that's really important, and I'll tell you why I think it's important, and you can disagree with me, because nothing I say here is kind of, um, you know, black and white. You guys have your opinions on things like I do, but I don't think it's theologically accurate. I don't think God does just show up in church. I don't think necessarily you do 
behave like the coal that falls out of the fire if you don't go to church. So let me just demonstrate this to you. We're part of a series of talks at the moment called uh, Encounters with God or Encounters with Yahweh because that's how the Israelites called God. And we're just going to look at Genesis 28 verses 10 to 17. So if you've got a Bible, you can join me in this or you can read it on the screen. So Genesis 28 verse 10 to 17. And we're looking at the character of Jacob. Are we, am I allowed to say that we have a, a new baby in the church? Have we said that yet? No, Liz Lung. It's not, she's not a mum again, don't worry. <laughs> Arlene and Dave have had a little boy and they called him Jacob. It's such a wonderful name. We've called our son Jacob too. Congratulations, guys, if you're watching. Congratulations. Shall we give him a round of applause if they are? Yeah. So it says in uh, uh, Genesis 28, this is Jacob. This is the man you've named your son after. Okay, Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. And when he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land that you are lying on. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. And all the peoples on the earth, get that, all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. Some promise. I am with you and I will watch over you wherever you go and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I promised you. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place. He was not even aware of it. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? There is none other than the, this is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. So he was obviously quite blown away by that experience, right? So here's the thing. Jacob is the younger of twins. Okay, his older brother Esau was born just before him. First one out, Jacob came out second. And um, uh, like the firstborn in the British royal family, uh, the firstborn in Jacob's family gets the crown, gets the inheritance, gets the title of the family. Okay, so in our British royal family presently, um, the firstborn is Charles, of course. Um, so think of Jacob and Esau like Charles and Andrew. Now, what you should know is, is that Jacob, although Jacob was the second one out, he actually tricked his blind father into giving him the title. Okay, into making him king and giving him the crown of their family. Now, their family wasn't like our nuclear family with three, four, five people in it. It was a massive family, okay, with lots of slaves and servants and concubines and all of that. So it was like a whole community. And Jacob deceives his father, his blind father, and gets the crown. That would be like Andrew getting the crown of Charles, which apparently he's trying to do. But anyway, um, that's a joke. For those royalists amongst you, I'm sorry. <laughs> But it would create a constitutional crisis, would it not? Were Andrew to become king? I think it would. Um, not surprisingly, Jacob's older brother Esau wants to kill him. Just like Charles would want to kill Andrew if he did the same thing. And so Jacob, uh, with his mother's help, flees the family. Now this is a story that is probably three and a half thousand years old. All right? And in that time, they didn't have churches and they didn't have synagogues and they didn't have temples. The family was the church. The family was the place where you worship God. Each family had its own idols and each family worshiped their God. So when Jacob leaves the family, he's leaving church, okay? Now what happens to him? 
Does God ignore him? Is he outcast from God as well because he's left the church, because he's left the family? Well, no. Verse 15, Yahweh says to him, I am with you, I'll watch over you wherever you go and I'll bring you back to this land and I will not leave you until I've done what I promised you. So Jacob leaves the comfort and the security of his church and, 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 and discovers that Yahweh turns up and meets him in the middle of the desert. And he has the most intense experience of God that he's ever had. It's phenomenal. He's, he says, how awesome in this place. I mean, how awesome is that place? I do love the fact that, uh, that Jacob leaves the church, the place of worship in his family, leaves, and the first thing that happens to him is God blows up his life. I mean, God just turns up in such a way that his life's never the same again. And what's more, God promises that he will be with him for the rest of his life. And he will be his God and he'll watch over him, he'll protect him. What, what, what else do we want God for? To protect us, to love us, to care for us, right? And God says, you've left your church, but I'm still going to care for you. I'm still going to provide for you. At a time when Jacob felt very vulnerable. Now let me say, this is no isolated story in the Bible. Uh, Jacob's son, Joseph, is banished from his church. Ironically, Jacob's family, he's got 12 sons and the 11, uh, 11 sons get so annoyed with Joseph that they, they basically sell him into slavery. What happens? God turns up, meets him in that place. He le- he's, he's, he's banished from the church, he leaves the church and God turns up. And what does God do? God's with him and blesses him and becomes the prime minister of Egypt. Moses. Moses leaves the church Leaves the family because his mother is afraid he's going to be killed because there's a massacre of all the firstborn Israelite sons at that time. So she pretends that he, um, she puts him in a basket. He gets discovered by a princess, an Egyptian princess. She is, he's adopted into the Egyptian princess's family. The princess raises him. Mother gets back involved as a, as a, as a wet nurse and as a, as a nanny. And, and this boy grows up in the Egyptian, in the Egyptian royal courts. He he's le- he's, has to worship gods that aren't like Yahweh. What happens? God meets him in a burning bush and his life's never the same again and becomes the prime minister of Israel. God will never leave him. God will never forsake him. God will always be with him. Look at uh, Daniel. Daniel, I know others have talked about these people, so I'm only giving you a paragraph each, but Daniel is banished from the church, um, as with all the, uh, the Jews who are basically... Jerusalem and Judah is defeated by Babylon. They take all of the Jews, or at least the, the, the kind of what we might call the aristocracy of the Jews, take them over to Babylon, which is what we call modern-day Iraq. Um, and uh, Daniel is forced to live in a foreign place. He can't worship God. He's removed from his church. What happens? God meets him in the most profound way. <laughs> and he becomes the prime minister of Babylon, the prime minister to the Babylonian king. Do you get my drift? This is a pattern that just recycles throughout. That people encounter God in all aspects of their lives, God shows up in all aspects of their lives. Now, I want to say something controversial. I'm not saying it's right. I just want to say something. I just want to be provocative, if I can be provocative. And um, uh, I want to say it with humility and also pastoral care. All right? So just hear me when I say this. But because I admit you may not agree with me, but I just think we, when we read the Bible, we have to conclude that God does not just show up at church. The corollary of that, is it's possible, the corollary of that, the kind of, the consequences of that or the, the, the follow-on from that is, is that you can encounter God all of the time and never go to church. 
that's the bit you might struggle with. I'm not pretending that's not hard to hear. But let me just say that when we look at the Bible, God does not restrict himself to organizations like the church. God shows up wherever God wants to show up. And that is not to say that church is not important. Right now, if we did a brainstorm together of all the reasons why church is good and why we love doing church and why we give our time, energy and money to this church and to any church, whatever church you're part of, we'd come up with an amazing list of reasons, wouldn't we? Right? You'd all agree there's so many good reasons. I mean, if, if not, why are you here? <laughs> Literally, why, why, would you, why would you turn up at church? There are so many great reasons why we do church and, um, and why we give our time, energy and money to it. But I want to say that we cannot conclude theologically that you're not going to encounter God if you don't go to church. I mean, I could, I could really, if I had more time, I could, I could go on. I could talk about people who, in the modern day, aren't part of a church, but like you would consider to be like rock-on Christians, you know, kind of like evangelists, missionaries, you know, missionaries that go to the Amazon, let's say. You know, they're, they're not in a church, that doesn't mean they're not encountering God and not in, in, you know, introducing other people to God. There's so many ways in which uh, that, that could be uh, described and examples could be given. So I want to say to you, maybe that changes the way we judge people who don't go to church. Maybe you've got friends who stop going to church. Maybe you've never asked them why. Why have you stopped going to church? Do you still encounter God? Are you still in a healthy relationship with God? What does it look like for you? Is God showing up in your life? Maybe... This helps make sense of people who are really loving, patient and compassionate and kind and generous, but don't go to church. How many of you people do you know who are the most loving, kind, generous, patient people that you know but don't go to church? Don't you even articulate something about a relationship with God, right? And you go, they're nicer than Christians. How is that? Well, maybe that's because they're made in the image of God. Maybe that's because God is showing up in their life, even if they don't realise it, even if you don't realise it. When we consider whether God shows up in our lives outside of church, I want to encourage you, uh, as uh, Joel comes and sings a song, just to spend a moment just reflecting on where you see God showing up in your life. Where do you see God showing up in your life? Outside of church, outside of community group. What does it look like for you?